this summer was it was interesting summer. I went home for really one purpose, and it was not to complete the honey-do list that my wife had waiting for me, nailed to the, the thesis that was nailed to the door. Um, but I did get most of that done. Um, but my summer office is a 16-foot motorboat. That's my summer office. So I, uh, I went up there and uh, wanted to spend some time fishing, um, which I did a little bit. Um, well, I did more than a little bit. I, I did fish quite a bit. Um, but my grandson, my oldest grandson who graduated from high school this last year and uh, who is attending college this fall uh, uh, and is rostered on the team's baseball team, uh, joined a national um, baseball team this summer. And uh, he had tournaments every weekend all over the Midwest. So we were in Kentucky. Um, I got to watch him play on, uh, on the field at Notre Dame. Um, I got to watch him play on the field at Michigan State. Um, I got to watch him play uh, all over the place. Um, so we were spending basically lots of money. And from Wednesday through Sundays in motel rooms, uh, all, all summer, all five weeks, uh, with the exception of one, when I took the, all the guys from the family to a fishing trip in Minnesota. Um, we spent all week without the girls just fishing. And it was, um, we really missed them. There I said it, okay? So we're going to talk about lying tonight. No, not really. Um, six years ago, my, my office is um, a, a nice boat. It's uh, 15 foot 11 inches. If you get a 16 foot boat, you have specific regulations in Michigan you've got to follow. You have to have this, 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 this. You've got to get a Coast Guard inspected. But it, mine's 15, 11, one inch short. So I don't have to have all that high-tech stuff. I still remember the first year I got that boat. I traded in my 12-foot rowboat with a with a 9.9 engine on the back, and I got this beautiful Seacrest boat with a 35-horsepower motor with a key start, not a pull start. So I got the boom, okay? And I still remember the first time Jordan and I got in the boat. We were on the Saginaw River, and we pushed off, and I turned the key, and it went, and we're floating down the river. So do I do what every normal fisherman does, throw the anchor overboard, take the cover off the motor. Now, I don't know a thing I'm looking at. It just looks like a skeleton of parts, but I want to make it look like I know what I'm doing, so I'm wiggling stuff, and I try it again. This guy goes by, and he goes, that's an Evinrude. Just choke it. I'd like to choke it. So I said, there's no choke on this. She says, yeah. So he turned around and come back. He says, there's a choke on Evan Roods. He said, the choke is actually in the key. You have to push the key in, not just turn it, push it in, and then turn it. I was like, no. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I needed an expert. Uh, who do we go to if our air conditioner in our car quits? When you're in 104 degrees at 5 o'clock going through the middle of Atlanta, Georgia with two cats in the car and your air conditioner decides, Woo I'm done. Who do you call? You want an expert? Doug, I need an expert, okay? We need an expert. 
Who do we go to when we need to learn how to can tomatoes? Mom. Mom cans tomatoes and salmon and peaches. If I want, I go to an expert. Who does the principal put the intern, student teacher intern, in the classroom for? The first year teacher, the second year teacher, somebody that they consider to be an expert. So who do we go to when we want to talk about winning souls? Who is the expert at winning souls? Tonight I want to share with you one of the greatest examples in the Bible, and I know you're all familiar with this passage of Scripture, one of the greatest examples in the Bible of Christ winning souls. Now, I want, to di I, want, I want to differentiate here. I'm not talking about building a relationship with somebody, bringing them to church, um, family members. I'm talking about someone you've never met before, sharing the gospel, fishing for men, literally, to bring them in to salvation. Christ is our greatest example. He is the supreme example in soul winning. His consuming passion was to seek and to save that which was lost. That's in Luke chapter 9. The motive behind every dealing Christ had with every person he had an interaction was with was to win them to himself. That was his goal. So if we desire to be an effective soul winner, if we want to win the lost, if we want to actually be part of the crowd that Jesus said, go and get them, we need to study that example of Christ. It's, it's almost inadequate um, as we try to describe Christ as a soul winner. But it, it's necessary for us to do that because uh, the things that he demonstrated in his life, the things that he demonstrated in his ministry that we read about in the scripture, those are the things we need to follow in order to do that most important thing that he called us to do, and that's to win souls. With this in mind, let's take um, one of the most familiar Bible stories uh, in the life of the master soul winner and find out what he did to help win the lost. The example we I want to go to is in the book of John, the fourth chapter of the gospel according to John, as the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with a woman at the well. Now, I was not going to type all 29 verses on the screen. So if you'll turn to here, John chapter 4 in your Bible, I want to read this. And it's longer than we typically read when we meet on a Wednesday night. Usually we have one or two verses, but there is so much in this that I want to unpack all nine things that I saw Christ do in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 29. So let's read together. Follow along. I'm going to read this passage. John chapter 4, verse 1 through 29. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse 4 is awesome to me. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied, 
with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and him whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saith thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. Ye know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Then the woman that left her, then the woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and said unto the men, Come and come see a man which told me all things that I ever did, is not this the Christ? What an example. What an example of Christ sharing with us how to meet someone and share the gospel with them. He had never met this woman before. He knew this woman, but he had never met her before. This was a cold call, a knock on a door. I want to share with you nine different things that I gleaned from this about how Christ is our example when we go fishing for men. I've got nine different things. If you want to write these things down, that'd be great. You can highlight these in your Bible. Uh, you can watch it later, or you can just crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. That's up to you. Number one, I see that Christ went out of his way to witness to this woman. He went out of his way. Verse 4 says he must needs go through Samaria. That verse jumps out at me every time I read through it because I've looked at a map. 
his destination point A, point B, was not going through Samaria. But he had a specific purpose for going to Samaria, and that was this woman. He didn't take his normal route, not on this journey. He went out of his way to speak to this lost sinner. The Bible says there in verse 4, it says he must needs go through Samaria. There's a divine compulsion here. We feel his concern for this one lost woman. I'm reminded of the sheep where one is lost. 99 are safe, and he goes finds one. This woman is the one. Most of us are willing to witness if lost people happen to cross our path. But Jesus taught here by this example that we should go out of our way to find the unsaved. We're not only to take opportunities, we're supposed to put ourselves in his hands and know that he brings us in contact with those who need him, that need the Savior, that need salvation. He leads us to the lost. I remember one specific time. It was a Wednesday night like this in August in Michigan. And after a prayer meeting, the preacher said, Hey, you go fishing tonight? I'm like, yeah. Don't have to ask me twice. So in Michigan, we go out on these piers that jut out into Lake Michigan, which usually mark the mouth of a river. And in August and early September, Chinook salmon spawn by coming right up the river. So if you stand on the pier, which juts into Michigan, you can throw glow-in-the-dark spoons at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you'll be reeling it up, and the salmon will just slam it, and you will catch 25-pound, 30-pound fish. And it's a blast to do. And uh, so the preacher and I went out to the pier. And he's on one side of the pier. I'm on the other side of the pier. We're back to back. And this guy comes walking down the pier with a cart and a fishing rod. No net. I know he's a rookie right off the bat. No net. And he starts fishing right beside me. He had no clue what I was fishing for. It wasn't salmon anymore. Before the night was over, the preacher got to hear me witness one-on-one -on -one with this guy. We set the tone. We talked about where he was from. Oh, what a coincidence. You're from Standish, Michigan? My father built a church in Standish, Michigan. Really? And we were clear across the state. We, God gives us opportunities. But we have to go out and look for those opportunities. I could have stood there all night long. I, didn't, I never saw the guy's face. It was dark pitch black, and I had a chance to witness to him. I had a chance to share the gospel. Let us seek them like one would seek to find something that was lost. That means we need to take the time to go witnessing. Number two. That was quick number one. Number two. He spoke to her about her soul even when he did not feel like it. Did you see that in verse 6? Jesus, therefore, being wearied, he didn't feel like it. His body was tired. Most of us do only what we feel like doing. Last year, I was up every morning at 5.15. I'd go to school, work at school till 3 o'clock, stay at school until 6.30 doing aftercare, come home, Ride nine miles on my bike and 
Sometimes I just don't feel like going to church, let alone witness to somebody after that. I am dead tired. We, we pray, we read our Bibles, and we witness only when we feel like it. The Lord Jesus rose above his weariness and he spoke to this woman. We need to learn to follow his example and rise above our feelings and do what is right whether we feel like it or not. We need to go above and beyond what we feel and do what Christ asked us to do. I was, it was a Wednesday night at church in northern Michigan. And I remember standing up there uh, leading songs. And uh, actually I was teaching that night. Yes, because I remember my friend was sitting in the front row over here. And in the back door, the back doors you could see from the pulpit opened up. And a guy staggered in carrying a black garbage bag. And he walked into the congregation and he put his garbage bag down in the aisle. And he sat down in the back seat and he went, now, this guy did not look like he was normal. He um, looked like he had just fallen face first into a tackle box, if you know what I mean. He had stuff all over the place. He had tattoos. His coat was dirty. I found out later he didn't smell very good. And uh, the Lord just pushed me after the service. Go up and talk to this guy. He was, he was frustrated. He was upset. Across the church, across from the church road, we had a bus stop, a Greyhound bus stop. And that's where he'd come from. And as I talked to him after church, he was frustrated because he had just been released from prison. And he was sent to a halfway house. And he had to be at that halfway house at 10 o'clock. But the bus had dropped him off at the wrong spot. And the halfway house was 60 miles away. If he was not there, they were going to put a warrant out for his arrest. Like, it's Wednesday night. It's already 8.30. We just finished prayer meeting. I'll take you. So I loaded him up in my car with my friend. He sat in the front seat, my friend in the back seat. And we just had a captive audience for the next hour drive to witness to as he went to the halfway house. We got him there. I still remember walking up the stairs, and the guy was at the door with a clipboard. He said, you're like 20 minutes early. You sure you don't want to stay out there? Yeah, I'm here. And he went around to door to door, introducing himself and said, these are my friends. And they just told me about Jesus. That's what he told everyone. It was, I, I didn't feel like it. I still had another hour drive home. But my soul was refreshed because I spoke to him when he wasn't, I, my body didn't feel like it. I could have said, hey, that's your problem, buddy, not mine. But I had a chance. To witness. We must live by principles, not by feelings. Hey, I'm tired. So is Jesus. And he shared the gospel. Number three, he was concerned about all people. He was concerned about all people. Jump down to verse 18. This is where he tells her, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now is not thy husband. The woman in this chapter is not exactly the type of person that most churches are looking for. But Christ sought her. If we desire Christ's likeness when we are witnessing, 
we must stop considering who's going to fit into our church and start asking, in whom are we responsible? We are to love all people. I remember I had my grandson with me one time. We were walking into Walmart. We walked into Walmart, and there was this guy standing at Walmart with a little sign, and he had a cardboard sign. He says, out of work, need money. He was standing at the front door of Walmart, which is odd to me because usually they don't let those people stand there. And he had a camouflage coat on, and I smelled him before I saw him. And we walked by, and as we were doing our Walmart shopping, the Holy Spirit said, that was yours. He was for you. Oh, wait a minute. God, he's not deacon material. He sits in our pews. He's not gonna, he's not putting any money in the offering plate. And the Holy Spirit said he was yours. And I walked out of there at Walmart slowly with a cart, knowing that if he was there, I was gonna stop, and I didn't want to. And I pushed the cart out and I looked, and I looked, and he was gone. And I was like, Woo! Yes! So we jumped in the car, went across the street to McDonald's. Guess who was sitting in the McDonald's? Oh! We aren't called to find church members. We're called to save souls. We're called to witness. Number four. He began the conversation casually. Look at verse seven here. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me a drink. You got something to drink? Wait, he didn't jump right in and say, you're a sinner going to hell. Ever try that door to door? Hi. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, he began the conversation casually. The Lord Jesus met this woman in the heat of the day. He began speaking with her about a very normal topic of conversation. Something that anybody would have asked. Something that everybody was talking about. The heat. I need something to drink. You got anything to drink? That's what it... I have a, uh, I have a form that I follow, F-O-R-M. And maybe you've seen this before, but this is just one form of sharing the gospel. And it takes this idea of sharing the gospel by reaching out to where someone is currently sliding into it, not just hitting with, well, you know what, I'm looking at you, you're not saved, you're going to hell. Uh, that doesn't work very well. Here's, here's what I do. First of all, I talk about their family. If I meet somebody, I haven't, I, if I, I'm talking to somebody about the gospel I've never met before, I talk about, the, everybody wants to talk about their family. How's your family? You got kids. Things like that. Then I go to occupation. What do you do? Oh, you work in a steel mill. That's cool. That's cool. How are things going for you? How much do you make? No, I'd never ask that. But talk about their family. Talk about their occupation. Jesus did this with her. He, 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 he talked about something casually that everybody is used to. Hey, can I have a drink? She's at a well. Of course that's what they're going to talk about. We must work with people at their level. Conversing with them in a way that opens the door to witnessing. This is just opening that door, getting them more comfortable. Number five, he turned that conversation into spiritual things. Look down at verse 10. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
in order for people to come to Christ, they need to be confronted with spiritual matters. You've got to talk to them about spiritual things. Not just the family, not just their occupation, but religious things. And that's what Jesus did right here. That's my R of my form that I remember. I start by talking about their family. We talk a little bit about their occupation, what they do. We bring that wall down, and then we start talking about the religion. Where do you go to church? Oh, what do they teach? Do you go all the time? Now we've got a little spiritual opening to this conversation. And Christ did that. Christ did that in verse 10. It starts with a conversation. It turns to spiritual things. And our Lord did just that when he dealt with this woman at the well. Number six. He told her of his power to give eternal life. Verse 14. Says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoso drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I cannot imagine what my life would be like without Jesus Christ. I was saved when I was five years old. Living for Jesus is all I've known. Even before I was saved at five, my parents made me live for Jesus. <laughs> but it's all I've known. Oh, there's been some times that I've wandered away. There's been some times when I've done the things that I want to do. But the Lord's blessed me. I, I cannot imagine living that life. I, I can't imagine. I have a friend that I made. Uh, my son Ben was in the military, and there was a group of us that got together, parents of the boys that were in the same unit as my son Ben, and from all over the United States. And we got together, and we'd get together a couple summers and hang out. We would contact each other on Facebook. And, and there's a, a particular friend I made. Uh, his name is Chris, and he lives in Texas. And Chris and I are about the same age. Of course, he's probably much older than me because I'm really young. But he contacted the group uh, about uh, four years ago, three and a half years ago. I was here. And he said, uh, guys, my two-year-old grandson just got diagnosed with brain cancer. And it's terminal. At two years old. I, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine having someone, knowing someone, or even myself, being sick and there's no cure. I can't imagine what that must feel like. That hopeless state of living, knowing that you're about to die. But to be sin sick and have no Savior is a hopeless state for eternity. Christ is our hope. Christ is our cure. And Christ told this woman, I have the cure. I have the everlasting water. He has the power to give eternal life. How long is eternal? Eternal is eternal. Forever. The unsaved must be made aware of this. That's why my M is the message. I tell them about, oh, we talk about their family. 
We talk about their occupation. We talk about their religion, where they go to church and what it believes. Then it's open and I hit them with the message that they are a sinner, that the Bible tells them that Jesus died for them, that he saved them, and all they have to do, it's been paid already, all they have to do is repent and believe. That's all they need to do. That's the message. That's the gospel. They need to repent and believe in him. Our work as Christians is to speak with people about the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to save. That's our job. Number seven. He led her to an awareness of her spiritual need. Look down at verse 16. It says, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, He knew her. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou sayest, Truly, we seek a doctor when we're sick. We will never seek a savior unless we realize we are sin sick. We need that person to come to an awareness that they need the savior, that they cannot do it themselves. The biggest lie from Satan. You ask your coworkers, you ask your neighbors, you're going to go to heaven? What's their only response? I hope so. Why do they say that? Because Satan has perpetuated the lie that when they get to heaven, there's going to be a scale and all their good things are on one side and all their bad things are on the other side. And if their good outweighs their bad, they're in. And if their bad outweighs the good, oh, so bad. That's a lie from the pits of hell. It makes people satisfied knowing that if they do enough good things, that scale is going to be in their favor. But the Bible says all of our righteousnesses, all of those great things that we do, all those helps, all those kindnesses are as worthless as filthy rags. Because that's, they, if they don't understand their need, they're never going to get saved. Without Christ, all people are bound for hell. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 2. And you hath he quickened. Quickened is an old English word that means to make alive. And you, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That's what people are doing now. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But he wants to quicken us. Without Christ, all people are bound for hell. Number eight. This is one I like the best. Because this happens to us all. He refused to be sidetracked from his purpose. Look what she did to him in verse 19. He's in the middle of sharing the gospel. And this is what she says. Sir. I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she goes on to say, hey, my people's religion is different than yours. My people worship here. Your people worship here. We've got a totally different religion. What was she doing? She was changing the subject. She wanted to detract from her need. She was changing the subject. She was sidetracking, but Jesus refused to be sidetracked from his purpose. 
One of Satan's tricks is to sidetrack the soul winner. And it happens time, a time, and time again. Why do you think we have two people go door to door? It's not for safety purposes. Because if we die, we're going to heaven anyway. Okay? So if, if, if they're, you're in the middle of witnessing and the dog gets out, that second person, they're the dog catcher. If that, if that person's witnessing and the kid throws something across the room and breaks it and mom goes, oh, no. The second person, I got this. Go ahead and keep talking. Keep from sidetracking. Keep on the topic. Jesus did that. Christ was so consumed by his purpose that he refused to be sidetracked from it. Have you ever been sidetracked from witnessing? It happens all the time. Even, even if you're on your own. You'll, you'll be in the middle and they'll say, oh, that's, that's animal. do animals go to heaven? What? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I was thinking about God the other day. Does if God's all powerful, can he make a rock that he can't lift? They'll sidetrack you from the message. But Jesus refused to be sidetracked from his purpose. Last one. How am I doing, Jim? Okay, can't I? Let me stretch it a little further. Okay. The woman trusted him as her savior and began to win others. This is a blessing. Look down at verse 29. She goes back to her city and finds all the people and says, Come see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She left her water pot. She left the well. And she had to go tell others. That's victory. That's our reason for witnessing. To bring glory to the Lord and to win the lost. So that they can win others. That's the whole purpose. Our goal must be see, to see the lost saved so they can tell others of Christ. To tell others of the Savior. There are a number of things that we find in the life of Jesus Christ in the opening verses of chapter 4, leading up to his conversation with this woman at the well. These things, these nine things, should be in the lives of all believers who desire to witness and to win souls. If we're truly born again, we have within us the secret to soul winning. Ready for it? The secret to soul winning? We have it right inside of us. The secret is this. The master soul winning. He's inside of us. The Lord Jesus Christ, he lives in us. And if he can do it and he's in us, it can come through us. He can help us as we share the gospel. He'll speak through us. He'll make us soul winners that he desires for us to be. All we need to do is yield our lives to him. And he will do it through us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your example of this woman at the well. We thank you, Father, that you did that for each of us. That you reached down, showed us our need, and led us to you, saving our soul. Father, if there's anyone here tonight that is not sure that if they were to die tonight that they would go to heaven, please don't let them leave without talking to somebody and getting this taken care of in this hour of need. And Father, 
for those of us who've been sitting on the sidelines just watching, we pray that you'll guide us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to reach out and share your word, share your gospel with those around us. For those of us that have been doing it, Father, we pray that you'll help us and encourage us and strengthen us even when we're tired. Take us to those situations where you want us to share the gospel and give us the strength and the power to follow through each and every time as we yield to you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.